The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast special edition three part mini series called Healing the Abandonment Wound. This mini series is based on a lecture that I delivered at the Canadian Association of Clinical Hypnotherapists at their conference in 2014. In this third and final episode, I talk more about the spiritual void underpinning the abandonment wound. There are special considerations when working with clients that I call spiritual intuitives, people with a highly developed spiritual yearning who require more of a transpersonal approach in their therapy, meaning we don't just talk about the underlying causes on the physical, emotional, and mental dimension, but we also include the spiritual dimension sometimes above all else. I then talk about the five stages of abandonment based on Susan Anderson's work in her book, which I've cited in episode one and two, called The Journey from Abandonment to Healing. In her book, she talks about the five stages of abandonment, and in the lecture, I give some brief direction to hypnotherapists, and we discuss the therapeutic approaches and interventions that would be appropriate to help clients get through their abandonment crisis. And now here's the third and final installment of Healing the Abandonment Wound. I'd like to talk about spiritual abandonment because we're kind of going through the physical, the emotional, the mental, like what we think happens with um, where people's headspace is at. But on the spiritual level, something happens here. So underpinning every addiction and the abandonment wound is a spiritual void. I don't want to get into a bun fight or a pissing match, whatever you call it, on uh, what is spirit or what is God or if we need it or not. Use whatever works for you. I'm going to use the word spirit or spiritual, but what we're talking about is connection to something greater than the self. So we move away from monotheism, meaning it's about one God or one belief, and I would submit that you also recognize that we currently, even though we're in a secular culture, it is a monotheism, but we worship the self. <clears throat> we worship the self, self-improvement, self-analysis, you know, self-actualization. It is another form of monotheism. We just have different uh, cathedrals, right? So... We're talking about something connected greater than yourself. Uh, and so for those people who have a strong spiritual intuition, remember I said everybody has a matrix of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And some people are kind of outliers. Their repetition compulsion around self-improvement and connection to a higher power or self-actualization and that sort of thing um, creates this constellation of uh, thought, feeling, memory, expectation, experience, all of that, that reinforces a feeling of having been deposited here to fend for yourself on the earth plane. So every time you have a good experience of, I feel so connected, it's exhilarating high, and then the crash afterwards, right? Because then you go back to your regular life and you're like, but I'm still here on the earth plane. So there's this constant tension for people with a strong um, spiritual yearning, one that's well-developed, like myself, where you are one with all things, 
and you're the mime in the box <laughs> kind of thing, right? Like you, and it's this tension of the two happening at once that can lead to profound despair that, that has kind of no single root. And when you have this strong spiritual yearning and you believe that, you know, children come in equipped, right? You, you come in um, either like you've chosen to be here, you've chosen your parents, or maybe, you know, even if you don't believe that, you might believe that everybody is here to contribute something that is in, going to be contributed in their unique way. Or they're here to retrieve their medicine and share it with their people. The thing is, when you have that spiritual belief, you can come to the earth plane already with that imprinted that you don't want to be here. You're like, no, 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 I like the oneness of all things. <laughs> I like the light. And so when you're doing past life regression, or even just regression to the womb with these clients, frequently they will not go to a past life. They will go to a nebulous experience of, no, I don't agree to this. I don't want to be incarnated. I'm not, no, I'm not coming in. I'm hovering outside my mom or whatever. Or they will go back into very early infancy. So they'll remember being in the crib. They'll remember sitting on the grass and they're just like toddling, right? Like they can just sit up. And I had one client describe it. I can remember the veil when it closed between the worlds and the feeling of don't leave me here. You know, you know we talk about children are still connected with their intuition, their spiritual self, and we have imaginary friends. We talk to those imaginary friends. So many people that you regress to find an uh, initial sensitizing event in their youth, the trauma is I was born, and I was perfectly happy before that. And so now here I am on the earth plane, I don't even really feel like I want to be here. So much of their lives, they have this kind of ungroundedness and an ambivalence about being here kind of just generally. Now that said, because they have the ability to feel the oneness of all things, when the pendulum swings, it swings hard, right? It's like, I'm so happy and I have all these ideas. So they will frequently have like, their good ideas outnumber the implemented ones, like a thousand to one, right? Because they're just like, this is so great. They have a really hard time getting traction on the physical level, getting projects off the ground, getting relationship. I found this person, they totally get me, and we're like this. But actually what I want is this. Like I want to merge with them. I want to be in their skin. And so not being like right soul merging with them means I'm so alone. Like it's just like, you know, I call this the ripcord. You know, the ripcord on a parachute. It's like, I'm so with you. I feel so betrayed. Ripcord. Like, I'm out of this relationship, right? It's like, so the abandonment wound is uh, very strong. And the symptoms are, you know, they always feel like an outsider. I always felt like the black sheep, da 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 Nobody knows the real me. Or no one person knows the real me. Because remember, they have that oneness of all things happening. So they're, like, chameleonic. They can style flex. They can have tons of people around them. But no one person will know them so intimately that they know the whole story. And that's partly the protection thing. And no sense of home. And so, you know, they come into this lifetime not really feeling attached, not really feeling connected to their parents or, or whatever. And they set up, through that repetition compulsion, a series of events in their lives that reinforce abandonment. So it's kind of like a chicken and egg thing. Yes, 
they came in and then their mom left when they were five or whatever, but was the tendency towards being abandoned already there? So this is a spiritual perspective. It doesn't really matter what you believe, but you'll recognize this in your clients. The feeling of being deposited on earth rather than choosing to be here. Constant tension between wanting to belong and wanting to flee. So I feel really connected to this community and I'm living in a commune and then it's like one day there's a note <laughs> and they're just gone you know it's like yeah I'm just a free spirit or whatever um, constant low-grade dissatisfaction even with with when being happy with a strong difficulty articulating a cause remember emotional memory right implicit memory it's like it's just been there always always I've never felt connection and the integration Longing for sacred and transcendent and numinous experiences, idealizing them, idealizing people who can get them easily, that sort of thing. Roller coaster moods marked by intensity. Multi-passionate, like I said, better initiator than finisher. An intense empathy for the pain of the world. What I mean by that is, I cannot tell you how many of my clients with strong spiritual intuition were rocked into the depths of despair when Robin Williams killed himself. Because... They have these icons that they idealize, and those people, ADHD, right? And people who are like really out there and really connected and bringing joy, and you know, uh, particularly like celebrities, icons, deities, the strong spiritual intuitive have a tendency to want that so much for themselves. So get them up on uh, the, the pedestal, and when those people die, they're at, even if it, they don't know that person, but like they can't go to work for a week. You know, it's just, it rocks their faith in their ability to stay here. So they've never really kind of committed to the earth plane. So you may notice that, uh, here's what you ask in your intake. If you're starting to piece it together and you're suspecting that this person is a strong spiritual intuitive and therefore you won't find a single initial sensitizing event in this lifetime, you have to kind of acknowledge the spiritual aspect. Ask them if they've ever had a near-death experience. You may have to ask them more than once because a lot of times they forget. I know that sounds weird, but it's, it happens to me all the time. So think about, remember, which, what might have been happening for them. You know, could it be that the memory just bypassed the neocortex to record that? Could it be that they uh, you know, become so functional a sense that it's gone? But you sometimes have to ask them more than once. So an example of that, ask them, have you ever had a near-death experience? She's like, no, gosh, nothing like that. And then after I started explaining, okay, well, you have a number of the, 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 the indicators or the risk factors for a person whose abandonment is more on a spiritual level. You know, you haven't had near-death. And suddenly she goes, oh, wait a second. I did almost die giving birth to my second child. That's true, actually. And it's just like, how do you forget bleeding out? <laughs> like, you know, and sort of, and she's like, and I do remember that I had to consciously make the choice, no, I, I'll go back. But I felt so good over there. And she's like, gosh, I haven't thought of that in a long time. It's like, because you're a highly functional person who's a super mom, and you, you know, like, the pendulum swings so hard that you don't think about those little things like the time when you kind of didn't want to come back <laughs> to the earth plane. So near-death experience. You have to have a near-death experience with that. For example, I almost died several times, 
but I don't recall. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Well, no, but I recall <laughs> saying, no, I think I'll stay. No, you don't have to remember that at all. So you would just ask them if you had a near-death experience. Just that alone on the sort of spiritual plane is um, significant, whether it's your belief system or not. The next one is, have you ever had an out-of-body experience, including lucid dreaming? So they might not have ever had near death, but they're like, oh, yeah, every night, lucid dreaming. It's just like, so they are dissociating, right? Completely leaving the body. And, uh, or they will say, well, one time when I was five, uh, you know, I, I saw my dad get hit by a car, and I do remember being above being able to kind of see, but then, you know, I was so young and everybody, you couldn't possibly have known that detail and da-da-da-da-da, and so they kind of just dismiss it. But for our purposes, looking at the origin or, like, how are we going to, it's not the origin, it's what is the gestalt? What is the approach we're going to take in talking to them and working through their abandonment? Because frequently, therapies never take this into account. And so we're, for the spiritual intuitive, no therapy will be complete if we keep it at the emotional and relational level. It has to hit the spiritual void. For many of us who can kind of cope with the spiritual void or whatever, it's not as intense for us, we can do a lot of addressing others and stuff like that in our therapies, and it will work not for a person who is a strong spiritual intuitive. So I share this with you because a lot of them have a tendency towards addiction because of these things, near-death experiences, very acute abandonment experiences that are not understood or recognized by the culture. That alone is isolation. If anybody was with me in the past life regression workshop and I got like, I took it down not to the end, really serious about, you, you know, you may not understand what an act of courage it is to reclaim your intuition in a secular culture. It's very isolating to have a strong, strong and highly developed spiritual yearning and a sense of the realness of that when everybody around you says you're stupid, right? It just dismisses it and says that's dumb because we live in a secular culture that idol idealizes the self, not something that is uh, selfless, right? So that alone, some of them also have uh, frequent supernatural phenomena. And usually if I just say to them, do you ever experience supernatural phenomena? They will not say, what do you mean? <laughs> I'll be like, well, <laughs> you know, it depends on what, you know, and they like trot out all these very unusual, so I, I'm not going to list them because you'll know it when you hear it. Um, suicide ideation or attempt. So you just have to ask, have you ever thought about suicide? Have you ever attempted? Um, again, this is about, do I want to be here on the earth plane or not? Do I accept this physical body? or not. So another thing is self-harm, which of course is not that you want to kill yourself, it's that you want to uh, get rid of the pain, and anything to do with the rejection of the body. So weight or um, dysmorphia, that sort of thing can come into it as well. And then of course, the spiritual exploration and experimentation. So if they're like, no, I don't really have all of that, but I do ayahuasca every weekend, chances are pretty good, because they are going into altered states that are totally disconnecting. So. That's another one. So yeah, drug use and all of those kinds of things are, again, just clusters. So frequently with the spiritual intuitive, if it's not addiction, it's anxiety. So anxiety will always find a target, but it doesn't need one, right? We'll always come up with a reason for why I feel anxious, stressed, always hypervigilant, that sort of thing. But for the spiritual intuitive, there's, there's, they'll just pick a reason. They'll just, like, they'll just pick a reason. Because the anxiety is, I am not safe on the earth plane. Full stop. 
It's very difficult to put, talk about these things if you don't get it, but you'll hear it and you'll piece it together. And if you don't feel comfortable in that kind of um, language, or you don't have to know about it, but if you're not comfortable addressing it, your therapy is never going to get to that taproot. It just never will. And that will contribute to their sense of feeling that vague, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Everybody else can be happy and I'm never, you know? So very important and a particular, um, you know, compassion for people who keep turning around to what's wrong with me when it's the culture and, and you know, naturally so that doesn't recognize that it's a particular kind of anxiety. So I call it spiritual depression. Um, seems to fit and people who have it know it when they hear it. They're having a reaction in a current situation. It may be that that current situation, you know, is a breakup or something like that. There's every reason to just simply treat that event. But it's also, of course, as we know, this is the hypnoanalysis part, that they could be reliving a past experience, experience stored in the implicit memory system. So thank God for neuroplasticity, for the ability for us as hypnotherapists to reframe, reprogram, and address what's happened in the implicit, because it's not cause and effect. It's just, it's just not that easy, right? It's happening in multiple dimensions on every plane in all different ways. So uh, neuroplasticity is required to start to build up the uh, uh, synapses, the new neural pathways that can help us increase our capacity to experience joy and love and uh, have possibility and make a choice that, yes, I will be here on the earth plane. Thank you. <laughs> I, I say yes, that sort of thing. So let's talk about here's how they come to you when the breakup has happened or the job has been lost or you know, whatever the current event is. So the first stage of abandonment uh, is shattering. So if they come to you at this point, the, the rupture in connection has happened. Um, the emotions are like they're shocked, they're panicked, they're totally beside themselves. Like they frequently use the language of it's like part of me has been torn out. You know, it's like they are shattered. The, it, and it's a wrenching kind of pain. And remember, so much of the root of it is in the implicit memory system. So it's important to allow your language to be quite vague frequently. So just the word pain is enough. You don't have to even get more specific than that. It's just, it's pain. It's just pain <laughs> everywhere, in all places, at all times. So they're feeling destroyed. They have no faith. Life is bereft of meaning. Um, Self-identity is often a big shattering point. Um, they're helpless and frequently very dependent. Sometimes suicidal is very normal at that point. And they may not, they and their friends and family may not realize at this moment that it's temporary, but they are temporarily over-reliant on therapists, friends, family. They're looping, they're looping, they're looping. Very needy. The therapy at this point is about reframing. So super important not to rush the grief at this point. And of course, 
know, those of us that, that want to help heal the wound, and it's easy for us to see the crying baby, <laughs> you know, it's like, of course, it's like, shh, soothe and console. The best thing at this point is, remember I said sometimes the acknowledgement is the healing? Lay out for them what abandonment is. Just is part of your sort of pre-talk about that. Have you ever heard about spiritual abandonment? Have you ever heard about the abandonment wound? Have you ever thought about isolation? You know, and then you just kind of give them a little bit, and they will start, the ab reactions will start there, like, they're crying, they're nodding, oh my god, nobody's ever talked to me in this language before, this is exactly what I have. And now it becomes about deep witnessing. So you're not doing a lot of talking. You're really just asking good questions and like, wow, that must have been really lonely. <laughs> Let it come out. So deep witnessing on the part of the therapist and allowing them to feel all the feelings because that's you know, depending on where they are, they're either like, I really need it, or I don't let myself feel. And if they're in the I don't let myself feel camp, you may want to discuss with them the notion of grief as a form of praise. What I mean by that is your tears are the song of your soul saying this was important to me. Grief is a form of saying, this mattered. So in the religion of self, <laughs> we take care of ourselves, and we don't want to burden other people with our pain. And what good would that do anyway? Because my needs are never going to get met. I just want you to take the symptoms away. That kind of da-da-da-da-da. And when you say, well, gosh, have you ever cried about that? And they're like, well, what good would that do? It's like, well, then how important was it to you? You know, not to be challenging, but it's like your, your tears say something about whether or not that baby being born into this world whose parents were doing their own thing deserved love or not. So grief as praise is a really important part to create a lot of space around. So the therapy of that is about helping them to feel somatic awareness like Sylvie was doing today can be very important particularly for the high performance it was so funny because of course Sylvie was like she's a very highly functional person she's very and it was like of course and she can't feel her feelings and can't feel her body so you start with the, the physical sensation that's what any somatic therapy is and personally like I didn't list every therapy because you would know you know like okay so there's different modalities than hypnotherapy right so it's about EFT, um, Inteo, there, there's kind of two different ways you can go to, and this is where your intuition as a therapist matters. You know, there's two ways to get the feelings out. One is the gentle invitation, right? And the other one is like the, the, the microscope, like really like putting so much focus on something that it cracks open. So what I mean by that is um, Inteo is the process where it's like, okay, well, you know, where's the pain and can you make it bigger? Can you make it, like, where's it on a scale of one to 10? I'm not giving you the technique right now, just so you know. You'll have to research that. But essentially, just to illustrate the difference, it would be, well, it's, it's in my chest. Okay, well, what's the density? And how big is it? And a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like critical impact. I'm going to die if this gets any worse. And 1 is it's totally manageable. Where are you? Well, I'm at, a, I'm at an 8. Good. Okay, can you make it bigger? And it's like, nah. <laughs> you know, and you try to make it bigger. But what happens in the brain? As 
the subconscious mind uses intention and attention and visualization and all those things to focus on this thing and make it bigger, the subconscious mind is also registering, hey, wait a second, I'm making it bigger and I'm still alive. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm making it bigger in my body, but it's not killing me. <laughs> and it's, I'm, wait a second, I'm experiencing success and now the sensation is subsiding. And so you're asking them, where's it at now? And they're like, and they won't say anything about, you know why? Because they're struggling to find it. It's like, well, it's like a six. I swear it was like an eight just a minute ago, though. Like, it's like, so what's happening is they're having a felt experience of going through pain and surviving. And so you want to get them down to like three or less, that kind of thing. So that's one way. And I know that as therapists, that is scary for some people. I, of course, who wants to pop champagne at <laughs> that is like, you can do it, make it bigger <laughs> thing. And then it's so great when they're like, eh, it's not, I can't, I can't find it anymore. It's like, awesome. Like, <laughs> you did great. Of course, the gentle invitation is more like EFT. Even though I feel like a piece of crap, I still completely love and accept myself. Like that sort of thing. It's like, it's much more gentle and invitational. But you are using the body to help surface the emotion in the implicit, the emotional memory. Because what's the point in articulating it when it wasn't an articulable experience that caused the suffering in the first place? So everything you can do in the first uh, stage is about the uh, allowing the experiencing of feelings to be cultivated. And then, of course, what are we doing? We're doing hypnosis to bring in uh, whatever technique it is that we need to help people connect that f the, the grief to their own heart. So I just use the question, how is your heart, and that sort of thing. And you know, Linda brought this up, and I do this all the time. It's like bringing to mind somebody that they love and then asking if that person is lovable. So is it possible that since you love a flawed person, you could also be loved? And, and if they don't have a person in their life, that's okay. Is it, can you connect with light or a sense of something greater? Or could you imagine connecting with the cosmos that you, know, you are here now? And so is it possible that you can bring down a little bit more sensation into your body of love and open your heart? So every, whatever tool or technique you want to use in the pantheon of uh, tools that hypnotherapists use, it's all about helping them feel, not even necessarily feel better, just helping them understand how deep and profound the abandonment wound is in their body, and that's starting to develop the new neural pathways that help them develop a capacity for more of the good things. So any little bit you're reinforcing. So you're at the end of those sessions, or that session or those sessions, you're definitely bringing them into a highly resourceful state where they can just imagine, just again, Sylvie did a very similar thing that I do, where it's like I have them anchor, get them to remember the time when they felt the most connected or loved or belonging or whatever. And, and when you say the most, they might be like, well, I, don't, I never really felt it, but there's like one time that was better than another time. <laughs> I'm feeling slightly less. You know, I had one person that kind of knew me. So the most is nice because it sets up a comparison. Because if you say the time when you were happy and they're like, I had nothing. If you say the, the most connected, then they can usually bring up somebody who might not have been perfect, but 
they felt a certain measure of safety and then anchor them to get them into the, what, what did it feel like? What, what are you aware of your body when you think about that belonging? And then I have a physical anchor. Some people like to touch. I have them connect a finger and a thumb and I have them anchor to the word yes in their mind. So does that feel good for you? And you're just going to say in your mind, yes. You're just anchoring to yes. So I call it the yes state and encourage them <laughs> to anchor to yes anytime something good happens then after that. This then becomes their homework. You know, like they'll be on whatever, walking down the street or in a store and you see a card that has like some little quote bubble on it about feel good. And if they like it, anchor to yes. And you're telling them that you're developing a capacity to notice and experience more love and joy, that sort of thing. Are they hypnotized? No, 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 no. This is homework, as I said, when they, when they leave. So stage two is withdrawal. Just So there's withdrawal, the emotional, I'm going away, but, but it also, if there's been a, a current trigger in their life that's bringing up the abandonment wound, it's like an addict going through withdrawal. So there's an intense craving for what you're missing. And this is usually when um, people from divorce or relationship breakup or that sort of thing, or they've been left... This is usually when they come into therapy because they've been so over-reliant on friends and family that they don't help anymore because they've been like talking to girlfriends or whatever about it. So the agitation is similar to a drug withdrawal. There's like incredible yearning, sometimes obsession, um, and it can trigger physical responses like wakefulness, um, so difficulty sleeping, weight gain or weight loss, um, and also the emotional effect uh, has a, a, a labile effect, meaning their emotions are right there, so they're breaking into tears. Like, you know, men who are like, I never cry, but then, like, they see something, and then they're like, then I was crying in my truck, or whatever. They're like, I don't know why. It wasn't even a big deal, because they're so labile. The emotions are right there, because they're in withdrawal. There can also be a tremendous amount of fatigue, because it's just so much energy to be upset, right? It's like you're so tired, emotionally and physically, so tons of either wakefulness or sleeping, or like sleeping through the day but never at night, that sort of thing. And at this point, they're often going through that searching for the lost object phase, right? Like walking around the house like a cat in a new house. It's like, I don't know where I go, right? So they're kind of like cleaning or... Um, I love Bruce Springsteen, and he has this like song on a live album where he's talking about like yeah, I used to like wake up at three in the morning and I'd go driving around my old neighborhood. I'd go drive by the old house. I don't know what I was doing. And I was doing it for so long, I finally went to a psychiatrist and he said, it's because something bad happened in that house and you're trying to go back. And so I, I love Bruce Springsteen. He says it in a much better kind of smoky way and then he like breaks into an awesome song. But it was like, oh, the abandonment wound, Bruce. Anyway, <laughs> so... So so, you're, so the amygdala keeps you hypervigilant, and also you're doing this, like, anxiety thing, right? But if, you, if you're asking about the quality of anxiety with the abandonment wound, frequently in this stage, you can tell they're in this stage because it, it is like a person looking for a lost object. They're, they don't understand their behavior. It's all coming from implicit memory. So the therapy at this point is about reclaiming, adopting and nurturing the inner child. doesn't matter what age the current abandonment is at or the ones that you've unearthed, you really want to just go to wherever 
in the timeline therapy or the addressing others or like whatever it is, this is all about adopting and nurturing the inner child. So in hypnosis, you would be doing dialogue with the inner child, the hurt self. And ideally, if they're like, okay, I want to do it with me now or whatever, ideally you're going to say, just imagine a time in your life, you know, whatever age you were when you wish you'd heard the words that you're thinking of now. And just like, so you could be doing timeline therapy, um, uh, addressing others, and everything. You could be doing regression. You could be doing rebirthing. But everything on the emotional level at this stage is about unconditional acceptance, unconditional love. So them, ideally them, ideally not others, it's ideally their adult self, <coughs> informed adult, reconnecting with the inner child and saying, I, I know, I know, I hear, you know. The inner child might also be pissed, might be like, yeah, well, you made it worse, you know. Mom left because you were so demanding as a kid or, you know, or, yeah, well, then you became an addict and so now nobody loves you, whatever. The informed adult has to be like, I know, and I can't undo it, but I promise I'm never leaving again. So it's unconditional, no matter what comes out. So you really want to hear all the emotions, right, that the inner child has. And if it goes right back to infancy, it's just that baby might be wailing. You know, the red face scream ah, that babies will do. And the informed adult is just nurture, just nurture. It is a, I'm telling you, it is a tonic for the nervous system. It's such a soothing balm for the restless soul that's never had it. So... It, it, and it feels really good. So you may do a few sessions on just this, nurturing the child. Even when the child, the inner child's counter will, right? That, you know, where have you been? That kind of thing. Even when that comes out, unconditional. So you're not going to then turn to, like, and how does that make you feel as the adult? No, no, no. You're just like, and so what do you say? I know. I know. I fucked up. I know. I'm never leaving you again. I'm never leaving you again. Have a lot of Kleenex for these ones because that's what that's about. So homework for that is frequently journaling because people have a lot of other memories that come up <laughs> later. And you can have them dialogue. They can, they can write it as little and big. So it's a little bit like automatic writing. So when a memory comes up, have them go into the perspective of what was that, you know, what was that like when you were 11 and you lost the game, or like whatever it was, and like, you know, whoever said it, like, it's like, you never stuck up for me, and then adult self is like, I know, and you must have felt so betrayed, and I will never do that to you again, you're with me now, you're with me now, so remember, we can't, it's about integrating all the parts of yourself, it's never going to go away, so just acknowledgement, I know, but you're with me now, I'm never leaving you again. Okay, stage three is internalizing the rejection. This one's really tricky because there's an idealization of the person or the event or the situation at this part. So it's like, I'll never meet a woman as good as her. I love the way she had the harem scarves on her ceiling of her house or whatever. It's just like random stuff. that You're like, wow. Like, that's really important to you? <laughs> like, okay. So you're just accepting, like, wow. I bet there's other girls who like the bohemian chic thing. <laughs> you know, but it's like, no, there's something about this one girl. And I've never felt so happy before. And I will never, like, so it becomes very um, all or nothing language, right? 
there's uh, also the, the internalizing is then turned against the self. So your anger turns inwards. Everything that you're idealizing is at your own expense. So it's like, if I'd only done, I should have. If I had been better, da, 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 da. So the anger <laughs> that used to maybe be like, I can't believe she left me, is now like, I'm never going to have anyone else, right? So the self-talk becomes very abusive, um, very hopeless. It's looping and it's incessant. That's the other thing. Is they're like, everything is good and everybody else is fine, but I just keep thinking about her. I can't stop thinking about her. It's just looping and incessant and very negative. So you're beating yourself up, and this is where the self, your self-esteem can suffer. Left unchecked, permanent scarring. Right? You're, you are traumatizing yourself now with the self-talk. So, and here's the other thing. Any positive thought that starts to come in is quickly replaced by a put-down or a return to the abandonment or a negative thought, like no matter how unrelated. So like an example, I was working with a client who's kind of just coming out of this stage, right? And he, we were talking about how well things were going. He was thinking about, he actually had another gal that he was starting to become interested in. And it's like, this is fantastic. You know, this is starting to notice. And then he's like, yeah. And then I was thinking about, like, we were having a very good, very focused conversation about the future. And suddenly he just went to, yeah. And then this one friend hugged her and it was like right in front of me, like in my face. And I was like, wow, when did that happen? He's like, oh, well, this was like, you know, seven months ago. Like, it's just like, what, what are you even talking about? <laughs> it's like, so I had to say, can I just give you feedback? What I just noticed there is as soon as you started uh, kind of looking towards the future, you didn't even bring up like a, a, a current or relevant event. It was actually something totally unrelated from many months ago, from a totally different stage in your healing. And he was like, that is weird. <laughs> I was like, I know, right? It was like, you took yourself completely out of, we were just talking about how great things were going, you took yourself completely out to a different stage entirely because it's a pattern, because the, there, he has not built up the neural pathway to be able to maintain and sustain hopefulness, optimism, and joy. So pattern interrupt is like, I just want to show you what you just did right there. <laughs> so let's anchor, as you're talking about the future, let's anchor to yes. Like, so I'm talking about the future. Wouldn't that feel good? Yes. It would. So it's like sometimes you're just like, oh, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, anchor. <laughs> so you're helping them really start to focus on uh, what's going out in the outside world rather than agonizing over the should-haves and the could-haves and what happened in the past. So the therapy at this point that I found super helpful is this is where the creative visualization and more extended um, deep trance around this uh, rebuilding of the self comes in. So I've given you, it's not a script because I'm kind of a spontaneous person, but this is um, the last page, the rebuilding the self. So the four cornerstones of the solid self, and there's, you know, interpretations of this, but here's what people need to be able to cope with abandonment. So number one, acceptance of separateness. So like, we're never going to merge. <laughs> Right? You can never be, like, it's, you, it's just, I am a separate person, and I, you know, I can function singularly on my own. 
Number two is the importance of your own existence. So you exist and are worthwhile without that other person or that relationship or that job or that sort of thing. Facing and accepting reality, which is I will get hurt again at some point, or people will die, or you know, I'm not a great fit for every job. That's just accepting of that and facing it. How am I going to respond? And then increasing the capacity to love. This is a wonderful time to use extended metaphor with your clients. So the one that I use is uh, building the dream house. Because A, it's fun. <laughs> it's like a fun one that people can really get into. But the house is archetypally known as home and belonging. When you rebuild the self using the metaphor of the house, you are creating a, a refuge, a place of refuge and safety within that individual that isn't reliant on others. The subconscious mind understands the metaphor of the house beautifully. And so as they're going in, you're saying, you know, we're rebuilding these different aspects of yourself. Uh, I have them, first of all, you know, go to their safe place in nature. And then they're walking, and they're in a beautiful landscape. It's a plot of land with an excellent view, and it's really lovely. It's like a place they'd love to stay forever. And then it's like fast motion. They see their dream house built before their eyes. And so we're already like, ooh, this is fun, <laughs> you know? And let them linger. Is there topiaries? Is there like a barn? Is there like what's there, right? So you let them build that up. And then you start the, the patter of the metaphor of the house. You know, you're at a time in your life when you're getting ready to rebuild and it's so important to have a solid foundation and to apply your intention to what is it that I want to gain from this last experience and how do I want to move forward? And so in this session today, we're going to begin setting the intention of rebuilding your solid self. And we're going to do it through the house. So then we really start the somatics in, even before they open the front door. So what's the color of the door? What's the handle like? What kind of latches it? Describe it to me. It's that whole kind of thing. So you want to know, like, is this English country? Are we talking you know, a river runs through it, or Martha Stewart. Like where, like, where are we? That kind of thing. Really get into it. What are we doing? We're creating excitement and a different expectation, right? So you're getting them into a pretty resourceful state. They walk through and they go to the kitchen. And you explain to them, the kitchen is going to represent the physical dimension of your life. So your body and your health and your money and your resources and all of those things. And your subconscious mind completely understands what we're doing every time we create something that's nourishing for you on the, in this kitchen. So you have them describe the kitchen, and maybe they make a meal, and what does it smell like, and that whole thing. I usually tell them at this point that if ever, because they're gonna, you're going to tell them, you're going to do this exercise before you go to bed or when you're in the shower because your subconscious completely understands the metaphor of the house beautifully to be rebuilding the self. If ever you enter your kitchen or your home and there's an unwanted intruder, you will know that this is your space, and you can ask them to leave, or da, da, da. if there's ever any problem, you can't quite visualize anything. All you have to do to send a direct suggestion to your subconscious mind about what you'd like more of in your life is imagine one positive detail vividly. So it's like, I am not getting the sense of the kitchen, but I can see an apple, and that seems healthy, you know, or I could imagine that. And then you just leave that room. And I tell them that that's sending a direct suggestion to their subconscious mind about what they want to create and experience more of in their life. And when their subconscious mind can agree to that, then 
we'll play. But it's like, until then, I'm leaving. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to play with you, subconscious, if you're going to sabotage me. So it's, what are we doing? We're empowering them. We're giving them a sense of agency in their lives because what's the abandonment wound? Powerlessness. So it's fun, and we play with it, and we, you know, and, and usually they can imagine something. Imagine one detail vividly, that's a direct suggestion, and then just leave that room and go to a different level. So then the next level is around the emotional level. And so we go to the bedroom, we create a place of refuge that really inspires and nurtures and feels like it's there. Sometimes it's like, maybe it's like a hotel, maybe there's like really cushy bathrobe and an ensuite, you know, maybe there's chocolates, maybe there's music or candles or, you know, whatever it is. Maybe there's a huge TV, I have no idea. But, and then you're giving them a lot of suggestions about how they're rebuilding their emotional capacity to care for themselves and capacity to love, and you're addressing all of that. So you're letting them play in the realm of metaphor and extended uh, heightened state of excitement and expectation, and you're just subtly putting in the things that your subconscious mind understands what you're doing is you're rebuilding your life on every level. So then they go into a study or an office, and this is the place where they like accept reality, right? This is the place where they deal with their problems on the mental level. And here's what I do there. is I have them you know, go through the room, and it's contemplative. It's like an office or a study, library, whatever they like. But I have them imagine that in that room, there's a photograph of them and somebody they deeply admire. It could be an icon. It's like them and Oprah, or them and their grandpa, or whoever. And in that picture, they see them arm in arm, and they're beaming and happy. And they realize that they don't have to figure everything out on their own. And it's just fun to play. So this might not ever happen in your life. This is your dream house. You can do what you want. And you know what we know? is, and then I get into the whole like manifestation, you know, this is, your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between reality and play, so why not just play with the idea that you're actually being supported out there in the world, that it's a friendly world, and often just the thought of seeing themselves supported, you know, whether it's a famous person or not, opens up the gateway to more feeling, and that they don't have to figure everything out on the mental level, they're not alone, and it's like, you know, just like you're not alone here, because I'm here helping you. So we've got proof, right? Oh, yeah, I'm not alone. I have to figure this all out. I'm not perfect. I can be imperfect, da, da, da. And then finally, they go to a room with an incredible vista. This is like a great room, or it can be a deck or whatever. But from this room, they can see the view. And so what are we doing here? This is the spiritual level. They're connecting with a higher perspective. And this is their favorite place in the world. And suddenly, when they look at the, you know, I get them to describe. So let's say there's trees they see the, the illusion of the tree, that they are made up of the same stuff as the air and the rocks and the sky, da, 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 da. So we're connecting them to that that is greater than themselves. And we also recognize that everything here has its own purpose. It's here for some divine reason, and you are an important part in the unfoldment of the divine, which is why you're here. And even people who are atheists, like, they'll lose it when they think about, like, the tree or the eagle or whatever. I'm like, and maybe even now there's an animal messenger that goes by or, like, whatever. It depends on who they are. But uh, at this point, we're trying to connect them with their importance, that, that there is no general or generic human. You can't be born a generic human. Everybody is unique. 
And so on the spiritual level, you're part of something, a cosmic unfolding. So we're connecting them with a sense of belonging that they may not get reflected back to them through their family or culture. So even if they're not spiritual and you're not spiritual, find a language that's nebulous enough where they can connect with something that gives them that feeling of belonging, even if they don't experience it in their human animal community, okay? Uh, the, the next stage is rage. <laughs> so before, the rage was against themselves. Now, frequently, they're, they, if, if they're depressed but lashing out, that's like an agitated depression, right? Um, lots of times, it just comes out as grumpiness, or um, now they're just like super demanding of those friends that they used to be like patiently over-reliant on and now they're just like super pissed when those everything that those friends and family have done to try to help them doesn't add up now because there's any little betrayal they're like what jerks you know I bet you know so starts to get pretty grumpy and um quite demanding of attention nurturing or loyalty that's the other thing they're trying to get people to agree right what a jerk right you know, they're like trying to get buy-in that way. So explosive outbursts of emotion and lashing out at the people closest to you. So this is when they'll be like, this isn't working <laughs> with the therapist, right? So kind of be jerks. So this is what we're doing right here. The therapy is all about releasing. So before we were like, okay, we're rebuilding. But then backlash will come. I want this to feel good now. Yeah, that felt good then. I want it to keep feeling good all the time. So this is about releasing. So this is your cutting of the cords. Uh, this is the, um, you, you might assign a rituals release, like you write the letter, you burn it, you know, you go throw stuff in the water, whatever it is. Um, but this will be about uh, the addressing others where you say everything you needed to say. They say everything to the abandoner. Or they, you know, this is, or they, as Linda said, they beat the abandoner up or like whatever, you know. But they're able to find an outlet for their righteous anger. That's what it is right now. You'll notice it. It's righteous anger. Uh, so breath work is another good one. You'll find in a lot of people, it's like, oh, mindfulness, right, to calm it down. But I frequently find that addressing others is really critical first because there's no amount of breath that can take away the giant you that wants to come out, right? But breath work is really important. Um, it's really important here because the anger is coming out in like quite a, it often comes out physically, like it explodes through them, right? To do inner work and if you can, connect it to an outer expression. So that's what I mean by the ritual of writing the letter and burning or um, getting rid of the old photos, you know, going through your house and clearing out all the memories, having both an internal uh, experience and having that inner transformation marked in the outer world as a reminder is often really important. You know, take off the jewelry she gave you. <laughs> like it's time, you know. Uh, just like, you know, an alcoholic can't have beer in the house. Like you have to empty the cupboards of all that stuff uh, and do the release work. So we can only do so much in therapy. We have to encourage them to also be releasing in their lives. So if they're still hanging out with the ex because they want to be friends. It's like, you know what? You need a break. You're not ready. So get rid of the texts, get that sort of thing, right? This is not the stage. <laughs> this is the stage for cutting cords. And then finally, 
you know you're coming out of it when the lifting occurs. So this is like they, they lighten up a little bit, right? They start to have the ability to laugh. They start to notice positive experiences more so they can sustain their balanced mood a little bit longer. It's not out of the woods yet, but they're starting to become distracted by life. And when they get pulled back in, it's because we have to remind them that you can't actually break a habit. You can only create a new one. So we just keep reminding them at this point that when they start to sort of quote unquote backslide, it's, it's okay, you're just not practiced yet. So we need to keep practicing and building up the new neural pathways. So this is about helping them to reconnect to the world again. So this is a great time for like the heart opening, um, you know, drawing on a higher power type stuff, uh, imagining doing uh, work in hypnosis where they have an inner healer that they can meet with and dialogue with or that they have a superpower or something like that. So what we're trying to do is reconnect them with their inner resources that will keep them on path and keep them on track and just keep supporting them that uh, it's through their application of their intention and attention over time. That the abandonment wound took a whole lifetime to get this acute. <laughs> and so it's gonna take some time for them to build up the capacity to increase joy. So again, by this time in the therapy, you're not just relying on what you're doing in the chair, you're gonna get much more suggestive about, so what can you do? Like, can you, what's been interesting for you lately? Like, what about taking that class? Or like, you know, it could be as simple as like, well, why don't you strike up a conversation with the girl who works at the grocery store that you see every day? Even if it's just hello, not because you're gonna ask her out, but just like, why don't you, you know, what, what would that be like for you? And if they're like, uh, nervous about it, why don't we do some work in the chair on building up your confidence and inner resources? So when you start to see the lifting, you don't want to end too quickly. You, you do want to keep helping them to build those new neural pathways because it's, remember, psychobiological. Their, their brains are susceptible to like, I, I'm better, I'm fine. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 let's like keep working this. So don't let the last session be a surprise for you. Like, you know, let them know, okay, so if you're not rebooking, you're coming to the end, this is the homework that I want you to be doing. I'd really like you to work with your anchoring. I'd, I'd love you to send me an email about, so it's not that you're trying to get them to come back in, but you, you want to remind them as they leave at the end that it's a continuum, not a condition. Everybody has it. It took a life to build it, so you're just going to keep getting better and better at not going back over the past, but increasing your capacity for joy and love and also for disappointment and setback. So that's pretty much what I got. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm open to questions and feedback and if, um, if anything came up for you. I, I mean, I love uh, doing workshop style where we do a lot of hypnosis and all that, but the, the content of the abandonment wound is so juicy that you really just start it in two hours, and I, I love that. I could sit and listen to it for, forever. Um, but I appreciate uh, your patience as I uh, barreled on through, and now I'm open to any questions that you might have. Anyone? I see I've been so thorough that you're completely <laughs> equipped. Um, 
And uh, yeah, one of the questions that you may have is what specific skill or script or sort of thing would I use in these places? I haven't assigned scripts to what you might do in the therapy because we all have our own style. But if you recognize now in, your, in yourself or a client um, a stage where you're finding a bit of stuckness, I'm happy to see if we can wiggle it a bit with you with some ideas for different uh, techniques and tools you might use at that point. So thank you very much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed this three-part mini-series on healing the abandonment wound. And whether you heard yourself in my description or someone that you love, really what I hope is that it helps you in your relationships with others. I also want to clarify that although there are five stages in abandonment, it's not linear. This isn't a kind of recovery process where you just go from one step progressing cleanly to the next. We can definitely regress. We can definitely loop around. And in fact, I don't really think we ever recover from abandonment. I think we become more resilient in our relationship with it. Throughout this mini-series, I gave you several resources that you can find when you go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, and go to the podcast link. There you'll find episodes 61, 62, and 63, and in the show notes, you'll find links to all of the books and readings that I cited. If you'd like to work with me or connect with me in any way, the best thing to do is go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N. S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. And if you just go to the footer of my website and sign up for my newsletter, you'll hear from me every other month or so. As always, I really appreciate you listening to the show. And until next time, take care.